Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. his lifestyle reflected that devotion. 
but he was what you would call, or I would call, a layperson, someone like you or me. So take that into context, is that he wasn't some learned, ooh, person. He was an ordinary man who devoted his life to God and was willing to allow himself to be used. He was a sheep herder, and as you saw in her pictures, um, he tended fig trees. So he was a shepherd and he was a farmer. He lived in the Judean countryside. And this is the big thing. He was not the son of a prophet or a priest. So he truly was just an everyday person. As a humble shepherd, he could have chosen to stay in his hometown of Tekoa, where he lived with his family and worshiped God. But God had other plans for Amos, much like he has other plans for each one of us. God gave Amos a vision of the future. We're going to read Amos 1, verses 1 and 2. The words of Amos, one of the, prop, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, what he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoshash, was king of Israel. He said, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. So if you think about that, that was pretty intense. It's like, okay, um, okay, Lord. So he saw all of that. And I have to wonder what he thought about what this message was going to be like when he delivered it to the people. You know, he knew it was going to have a huge impact throughout the region. Both north and south had already been divided. If you look on a map, you can see that they were already divided um, from the southern brothers and the sister bro sisters in Judea. The northern Israelite, Israelites were still God's people. But here's the thing. They would still be impacted by all of what he speaks of in this book. You have to wonder when he started speaking whether they thought, we're going to get by with this. Nothing's going to happen to us. But they didn't escape God's judgment. It's because, see, his judgment always starts in the house first when he wants to see change. Amos' message to the nations begins in chapter 1. And I'm going to read this, and I, I debated, but I wanted to. I wanted you guys to just sit back and listen to what he's saying to the people at this time. Now, I have to be honestly to say that, you know, if the Lord would say to me to go bring a message, something like this, to someplace, I think I'd be quaking in my boots going, uh, hello, isn't there somebody a lot more qualified than me? I'm just, you know, a little old person who lives in Anderson, California, you know. Um, really? Um, but yet I respect Amos for taking up the call and being willing to go where he was asked to go, even though what he was going to say was going to shape the nation. So I'm going to pick up in Amos 1.3. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, 
I will not turn back my wrath because she breasts Gilead. With sledgers having iron teeth, I will send fire upon the house of Hazel that will consume the fortress of Ben-Hod. It will break down the gates of Damascus. I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Avon and the one who holds the scepter in Beth Eden. The people of Aram will go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says, for three sins of Gaza, even four, I will not turn back my wrath because she took captive whole communities and sold them into Eden. I will send fire upon the walls of Gaza that will consume her fortresses, and I will destroy the king of Ashad, and the one who holds a scepter in Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron till the last of the Philistines is dead, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says, for three sins of Tyre and even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because she sold whole communities of captives into Eden, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. I will send fire upon the walls of Tyre that will consume her fortresses. This is what the Lord says. For even three sins of Eden, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Because he persisted his brother with the sword, or because he pursued his brother with the sword, stifling all compassion. Because his anger raged continuously, and his fury flamed unchecked, I will send fire upon Teman that will consume the fortresses of Waraz. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Ammon, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath, because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. I will set fire to the walls of Rahab that will consume her fortresses. Amid war cries on the day of battle, amid violent winds of stormy day, her king will go into exile and his officials together. Even for three sins of Moab, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because he burned as if to lime the bones of Edom's king. I will send fire from Moab that will consume the fortresses of Kirah, and Moab will go down in great tumult. Amid war cries and the blast of the trumpet, I will destroy her ruler and kill all her officials with him, says the Lord. Now, that was a lot. We can just imagine him speaking to each of these nations and going, this is what the Lord is going to do. This is the judgment that's going to befall you. Um, and the Lord judged them harshly. That they had been committing evil. And if you go in and really study some of this and, and really break apart some of the wordage in there of what they, they were doing to each other and to other nations, it was pretty heinous. Um, and then we're going to go on because now God's going to turn his attention to Judah and Israel. And they were going to be judged not because of, they were going to be judged as with the others, but the judgment was going to come because they had ignored the revealed God, the law of God. They'd been given the law. 
and they just kind of put that aside. And, and you know, the other nations were ignorant of God's laws, but not Jude and Israel, because they were God's people. And they knew what he expected from them. But they'd come to a place where they had disregarded him and joined other pagan nations in worshiping idols and much more. And you see, their sin was no less or no greater than the other nations. And I have to wonder, and I had to ask myself this question, how often in my life have I looked at something and went, well, this is not as big as that. Or, it's not as bad as that, is it? Um, and just kind of set that aside. And, you know, when I read this, I realized that, you know, and you've heard it, it's been taught on it, that, you know, sin is equal. And I went, Lord, I'm going to, you know, unless I come to a place of repentance and, and ask for forgiveness for those, is that that's going to be judged just as equally as anybody else's. And another thing that I noticed in here, and any of you that have studied the Bible, um, you probably heard this, but I want to bring to your attention the words that Amos uses at the beginning of each of these accusations. He says, for three sins, or even four. And I've always been taught when God repeats something in his word in, in a book more than one time, that you should sit up and take notice of what that might mean. And so I went and did some... Jennifer talks about it in her book, but I went out and did some research for myself. And he made a huge point here that we should, as people, be paying attention to. Amos uses these words a total of eight times in this book, and they play a special role because this is how Amos is communicating sin and judgment. Three sins represents fullness or completeness. Four represents an overflow of a sin that is a tipping point for God. Take note, as God is evaluating each nation, he's repeating the same phrase. So they had kind of come to a place when he lists the first three things, and then that fourth one was the tipping point for God. It's like, I'm stepping in now, and I'm going to make myself known as the sovereign king. So we're going to go on to read um, Amos 2 and 4 through 16, because this is when he's starting to talk to Judah and Israel. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees. Because they have been led astray by the false gods, the gods their ancestors followed, I will send fire upon Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. They sell their righteousness for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as upon the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl, and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge in the house of their God. They drink wine taken as fines. I destroyed the Amorite before them, though he was tall as the cedars and strong as the oaks. 
I destroyed his fruit above and his roots below. I brought you up out of Egypt and I led you for 40 years in the desert to give you to the land to give you the land of the Amorites. I also raised up my prophets from among your sons and Nazarites from among your young men. Is this not true, people of Israel? declares the Lord. But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. Now then I will crush you in a, as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift will not escape. The strong will not muster their strength and the warriors, warriors will not save their lives. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not get away and the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day declares the Lord. I know that this is a heavy message. And I asked the Lord, I said, why me? And why now? And he said, you know, he said, it's time for my people to begin to ask some internal questions about themselves and about where they're at and a lot about what God's called them to do about how they're going to stand up for the poor and the underprivileged and to not be complacent with where they're at in their lives, but to stand for truth and justice and righteousness. And um, so I went, well, okay. So we're going to finish out the rest of this, and I'm just going to do a flyover of the rest of the books. And then I will conclude honestly with a note, high note. Um, but you get an overview of what Amos is talking about here and how he moves forward with what God's going to be doing. In chapters 3 through 6, uh, covers the sermons that Amos, pre Amos preached against the nation of Israel. This book, more than any other scripture, holds God's people accountable for all of their ill treatment of others. Amos repeatedly points out the failure of the people to follow and fully embrace God's idea of justice. And ladies, as you get into the study, you'll find that she really unpackages that. Um, as I was preparing for this, I went out and I found this great message by Chuck Swindoll, and, and it was a quote from his message on Amos. And so I kind of think it describes a little bit about what was going on there. They were selling off needy people for goods, taking advantage of the helpless, helpless, oppressing the poor, and the men were using women immorally. Drunk on their own economic success and intent on strengthening their financial position, the people had lost the concept of caring for one another. Amos rebuked them because he saw in that lifestyle evidence that Israel forgotten God. Now, you know, Amos, and he was not, you know, going, oh, you know, the rich should be, he was not condemning riches, but he was condemning what they were doing with their money. <clears throat> Instead of using it in the way that God had intended them to, to not only live a life for themselves and their families, but to take care of others and to further God's kingdom, they were really squandering it on themselves. Um, You'll read in there that he actually calls some, uh, oh, I won't spoil that, you'll enjoy it. Um, 
but he really, she really unpackages that, and she really talks about what he goes into depth. And as I read more about this, I'm like, wow, you know, they really were taking advantage of what God had given to them to their own benefit and not to the benefit of the people. They go on in chapter five. Uh, this is the one that really, I, I think, stood out to me the most is because Amos is beginning to talk about lamenting over the people of Israel and the state that they were in. But he also, in that chapter, talks about that it's a call to repentance because God is always faithful in giving us a chance to return to him. So I had an idea in my head of what the word lament meant, but I went to look it up. And I found that to lament means to express sorrow, mourning, or regret, to mourn, to regret strongly, and to cry out in grief a wailing, a dirge, or a complaint. It could also be said that one who laments is passionately expressing grief or sorrow. And I also discovered that it can be poetic. I went back and looked up some of the scriptures on lament and some read some, and I'm like, oh, I can see where that could be considered poetic. So I asked myself, what does it mean to lament? Have I ever felt such deep sorrow at some point in my life? Yes, I have. But did I lament about it? I might have complained. I might have cried a lot. I might have felt sorry for myself. But I wouldn't say that I lamented. The other question I've asked myself is lamenting? Or has my lamenting been based upon a deep regret of personal past sins, wrongdoings, or transgressions? If I'm going to be honest with you guys, probably not. And I probably touched on those things, but I wouldn't say that I really looked at that of like going, okay, Lord, I know that that grieves you, and it grieves me, and it grieves me because it grieves you. <laughs> so here's a spoiler alert. In this women's Bible study, um, she will ask you guys to make a list of laments. And I wrote down a few things. But I thought to myself, would I ever say I have lamented over them? She then asks us to pause, ponder, and pray to seek the Lord and how we might want our lament. And this was the key for me, to be a pathway to redemption for these issues, situations, or people. I'm going to quote from this part of her book. We are invited to live justly and that begins with a willingness to lament, grieve that which grieves God's heart, and then be willing to be a part of the solution. And I ask the Lord because we have an unsaved child in our family. And um, he knew the Lord at a young age, and he's very prophetic. And he chose to walk away from the Lord in his teenage years, and he, now he's in his 40s. And he's still not walking with the Lord. And as a parent, those of you who've had somebody in your life like that, you, you're praying, you cry out. But I thought, have I really ever grieved his walking away from the Lord? Have I ever really lamented over it? Have I really asked the Lord to reveal his sorrow to me? over the sorrow of his choice of walking away from him. 
And so I'm like, okay, Lord, that will be something I will need to visit. But I said, Lord, in that, I want to know what I, how David and I could be part of the solution to that. Now, we've, we're always witnessing to him when we get the chance. And, you know, it's kind of funny. He'll call every now and again when there's a crisis and ask us to pray. Um, so, but I want to know what the Lord's solution is. I want to know what his heart is for this child, for our son, and how he wants to bring that about. So, I want to take a moment to say that this prophecy is not all about doom and gloom, even though it may feel that way at the moment. There always remains the possibility of change, of hope, and of restoration. And this is where repentance comes in. Because repentance means to turn around, to stop going one way and to turn to go another. And Amos calls Israel to do just that. To change directions, to go another way. To acknowledge that the way they were heading was going to be disaster. And they needed to seek after God to change. As you go on in the book, in chapter 7, um, God gives Amos a series of visions. And these visions were given to him to convey to the people in messages that were familiar to them, which we all know God does very often in his word. And so I'm just going to give you an overview of what each of these visions were. I found a great illustration of them in my Bible study. And so starting in, in chapter 7, verse 1, the first vision he saw was a swarm of locusts. And God was preparing to punish people, but he delayed because of Amos's intervention. And this is where Amos began to pray. In the second vision was fire. God was preparing to devour the land, but again, Amos intervened on behalf of the people, and God heard him. In verse 7, 7 through 9, he sees a vision of a wall and a plumb line. God would see if the people were crooked, and if they were, he would punish them. Now, is there anybody in here who does carpentry work? Okay, you know what a plumb line is then. You know, a plumb line is used to, it's got a, you hold it up at the top, and it's got a weight at the bottom, and when you drop it, it, it will always drop a straight line. And the picture and the vision in here is that Amos sees God standing next to a brick wall, and he's got the plumb line. And, um... So he was looking at his people and compared to what his plumb line was. The next vision was a basket of ripe fruit. The people were ripe for punishment. Though once beautiful, they were now rotten. And they started out one way as God's chosen, and then they had just allowed themselves to slip farther and farther and farther and farther away from what God had spoken to them and the truth of what his word was about. And the last one was God standing by the altar punishment was executed. Even though Amos interceded on Israel's behalf, God would still carry out his judgment because Israel persisted in its disobedience. And I think we have to pause there and ponder a little bit that when we've got something that's come up into our lives, we have that choice that we can either turn from that or we can continue to go in that last chapter is the book of promises, a promised hope at the very end. 
So chapter, let's turn to chapter 9. And I'm going to read verses 8 through 15. Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For I will give the command, and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations. As a grain, as grain is shaken in a sieve, and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword, and all those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. In the day I will restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken places and restore its ruins, and build it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations that bear my name, declare the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman, and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains, and flow from all the hills. I will bring back my exiled people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. You see, in these last few verses, Amos, we can see hope and restoration. Amos was assuring the Israelites that God would not totally destroy Israel. In God's grace for his people, he was saying to them that all of this before would not be permanent or total for them. God is in the business of redemption, not punishment. When it's necessary, he disciplines those he calls his own. Here's a question for all of us question for me. Is it hard to accept God discipline in our lives? I know what's been for me. Do we see our loving Father steering us away from sin, giving us a chance to repent and turn away? Or do we ignore and become defensive when he is punishing us? I've done both. Assyria would destroy Israel and take the people into exile. But some would be preserved. This exile had been foretold hundreds of years earlier in Deuteronomy 28, 63-68. This would be a purifying time for the nation of Israel, and not one true believer would be lost. If you think about it, how does that contrast to our justice today? God's a just God. And he, and he justs according to his word. He, you know, he, he judges according to his word. But You know, it's not always that way in our own justice. You know, God says sinners will not get away, the faithful will not be forgotten, and true believers will not be lost. The Jews in those days had lost sight of God's love and care for them. The rich at that time lived in a carefree life. They did not reach out to help others in need. They observed religious rituals, believing they were worshiping God, but they did not truly love him. You know, you have to wonder, you look in our own life today, at least I've been looking mine, I'm not going to look in yours, is that, you know, living a carefree life, you know, how, how does that reaching out to the needy 
and the disenfranchised work in my life? You know, is my going to church really always about um, truly having that connection with him or just going because that's what I do on Sunday morning sometimes? I think that's a little of all of it. God calls each of us to love him and serve others, to share the truth of what Jesus did on the cross with others, to show them and ourselves that repentance and forgiveness are what bring us back into a right relationship with God. We must walk in the balance of not becoming complacent with it every day, overlooking the things that we might not want to think about, but to keep our focus on the things above, be in the Word, letting it wash over us and guiding us each and every day. As I conclude this today, I'm going to take another quote from Jennifer Rothschild's book. And this is a teaser for you guys, is that um, she titles each of her chapters some, something. So it's their title, You Are Invited To. And you're invited to live assured. You're invited by God to live faithful. You're invited by God to live chosen because you are. You're invited to live humble. You're invited to live justly. You're invited to live prayerfully. And you're invited to live hopefully. So I want to conclude with that. That this, you know, this message, I hope, stirs your heart to begin to look at where you are how you see things around you, to ask yourself, have I become complacent in things? Am I willing to step out if I was called to share something like this with people? For you ladies that are going to do the study of Amos, if you're not going to be able to be in the Bible study, I would highly recommend that you get the book yourself because her new stuff now has a code in the back and that you can just log on to LifeWay and put your code in and you can watch all of her video sessions at the end of each and then she's got some uh, extra ones um, at the end. So, you know, if you can't join the group to get the study to go through it yourself, because I think if you allow yourself to be open, it's going to be impactful, because I think you're going to look at things around you in a different light. So I'm going to close in prayer. Lord, I just pray for your people. But I pray, Lord God, that you are doing a new thing, that you are stirring your people to come up and look at things in their lives um, and to line them up to what you're doing, to look at that plumb line and say, Lord, as, and what I'm doing is my life lined up with the plumb line of your, of your word. I pray, Lord, that they would help them to see themselves as being chosen people, that, that they can live an assured life about who you are and who they are within you. I ask that you bless this house. Um, and those that attend here, Lord God, and those that are listening, that, Father God, that your word would be uh, life-changing to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.